Amen. Great worship this morning, church. Amen. Praise the Lord. He is real. He is God today, right? Amen. You guys are nice and rested up, I can tell. Anybody forget to set your clocks back? Just you nine o'clockers, you just tell the truth. I was like, I was supposed to be here at nine, and it was messed up. Anybody? Everybody's lying today. Good. Hey, listen, uh, Pastor Larry's out of town, and uh, he's uh, with his wife, with their daughter, and helping just take care of some physical needs that they have there, giving them some, some rest, and I'm sure some for him as well. So um, 175 days from today is a very special day. Some of you are thinking, doing the math in your head, this many months have 30, this many months have 31. Uh, I'll tell you what it is, August 30. It's a very special day for me because, for me, um, that's the first day of football season. Uh, and I just think, oh wait, is that your anniversary? Is it your birthday? No, it's none of that. That's coming up sooner. Uh, but football kicks off August 30. Now, the thing about the Tennessee Vols, I'm a big Tennessee Vol fan. Uh, I know that means nothing to you whatsoever, but it means a lot to me. Uh, I'm a big Tennessee Vol fan. We're getting better. We have a new coach. And we're slowly getting better back to where we should be. But right now, even for the University of Tennessee, they are having practice, spring practice. Uh, in April, I believe they have their orange and white game where they'll go full pads and they'll hit each other. And they're training and they're, and they're uh, doing all they can to be better even now. Come the summertime when it's nice and hot. Um, for those of you know the, the college football level where they're at and like Michigan and other big, big name schools... Um, you can't require football players to stay over all summer. However, they have these non-mandatory, mandatory practices in the summertime. So pretty much everybody stays around during the uh, summertime to get some practicing in, to get some studying in, get some lifting in, just some training to make them a better team. Come the first part of August, it'll be two days, full pads. They're smashing each other, getting ready for the football season. There's nothing better than football season. Some of you are like, ah, NASCAR season, and you have fun with that. But for me, it's my moment. Let me just tell you about football season. August 30, I think it's a mid-afternoon game. What will happen, and I've been to Knoxville many times to go to a, many a football game. Uh, I was there when Peyton Manning uh, was in his prime. I was there the year that they won the national championship. Um, and it's such a neat time to be at a game because you get there early enough, they have what is called the Vol Walk. And that's when all the players come down from the athletic dorm. They're all dressed real nice. And you get to shake hands, high five, meet the coaches, all that fun stuff. And there's 20,000 people there just for that part. If you've ever been to college football, you know what I'm talking about. And then about an hour later, the Pride of the Southland band comes down for 30 minutes, plays nothing but Rocky Top. And for some of you, that's like... That's 30 minutes too long. And I'll admit it is long. But for 30 minutes, you get to hear the band play. You get the, you get the excitement of the moment, right? And then as the game getting ready to start, the band's playing on the field. They're playing down the field is the song they play. And then they make this giant tee, and it explodes. And the players come through the march, running through the tee. And it's just football time in Tennessee is here. And it's a good day. Now, for us, our first matchup for the year... You've probably heard of them. Um, they're well-known, have an incredibly strong offense. It's the Utah State Aggies. And exactly the response I thought I would get. I didn't know Utah had more than two colleges in it. Uh, it actually does, but apparently there's three. Uh, there's the Aggies there, which, again, no one's ever heard of. Uh, and then the following week, they go up against the juggernaut defense 
of the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Again, a team you've never heard of before, which is the way we like it because that gives us two games that we potentially could win this year. Now, some of you laugh and you smile. Hey, listen, ask Appalachian State. They'll tell you how much they can surprise somebody, right, Michigan fans? See, it went over as good the first service as it did this service, so I'll just never, I'll just leave that alone. But anyway, we have two tough games. Now we have two cakewalk games, and then we fly to Norman, Oklahoma to play the Sooners, and then we go to Georgia, and then we finally come back home and we play the University of Florida. And then the rest of the season gets worse at that point. And so for us, uh, we have a lot of work to do, a lot of planning to do. Uh, for the University of Tennessee. Now, to become a champion football team, though, there's a lot of things that goes involved with it. you got to come in with, first off, ability. A lot of these schools that do well every year, getting blue-chip players to come in, they have kids that could just go anywhere and start in the country, but they choose to go to this school. So they have the ability. They also have practice, hours and hours of practice. NCAA uh, governs how much they can practice in a day and in a week. Uh, before each game, those kind of things. So they guard it, but it's also it's a lot of practice and go to school on top of that, believe it or not. Uh, the coaching, top-notch coaching, you can go around the country and just find coaches. It takes great coaching of great players to make a great team. And then also just preparation. There's, there's weightlifting. There's your diet. They have dietitians that tell these big 300-pound guys, I'm sorry, you got to eat 10,000 calories today just because these are big old boys and you got to keep them healthy and strong. And a lot goes into it. And the key element, I think, of a lot of what we see in football today, particularly in the NFL, is scouting reports. Every team that is worth anything, that has the money to, they have teams of people that will go to teams of schools, and they'll scout the teams of upcoming weeks. They'll get video. They'll go over plays, and they say, hey, listen, on third and ten, they like to do this. Or when uh, the defense is in this formation, they like to run this play. And what they do is they bring all this data and all this information back to the coaches and to the players, and they practice, practice, practice for the upcoming week so that they know how to be able to play against an upcoming team. It takes preparation. You have to know who the opposition is to do any good. Or you could just show up and it's like, oh, they have an offense that we don't know how to defend. And so then you're kind of stuck, right? Here's, here's the thought for today. He said, oh, thought, we're going to go home. No, it's not that. I got you for a while. Um, the key thought is this. They have to know who their opposition is. When Pastor Larry started this, this, this series, everybody's heard put on the whole armor of God and the whole study as it goes, and it's a great study. Now, I have two things um, about today. One, Pastor Larry picked the one day, um, the one day in the whole year where we lose an hour of sleep, and he chose for me to be able to keep you awake for the next 30, 35 minutes. So stay with me, I promise. It'll be good. And then secondly... Um, he chose, he asked me, he said, hey, would you mind speaking on, we've been talking about all the different pieces of the armor, would you talk about who the opposition is? I'm like, that's the devil, and that's hard to do, and there's a very short time frame that we have today. We're going to do our best, hope we relay it to you as best we can. Take your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And again, the key thought is, when it comes to the warfare that we're in, as we've been hammering and going through and discussing and really hopefully driving home to our hearts and our heart and our minds is that we have not just the breastplate to put on, but there's the why. You know, you have kids that ask why all the time, don't you? My do. And, and sometimes, what's, what's the, the, the pat answer we like to give parents, but we don't like to admit it because I said so, okay? Um, we do it at our house. I wish we did it less, but we're working on that. But one of the things that I know of 
to the study of passage of Scripture and thinking, why do you even need a, a whole armor of God to do it? Because there is opposition that we're going to talk about today. Because, let's think about this for a moment. Let's say we send uh, our troops off to the Middle East somewhere and they have to fight. And we're just going to send them in fatigues, uh, put, give them a hat and maybe a sidearm to, to, to use while they're there. And for any of our people who've ever been in the military, thinking, Jimmy, that'll never work. They'll be like sitting ducks. They'll be, they'll be easy to take it over. And that's why God gives us the whole armor of God to put on, because there is going to be opposition. Now, as we get into the study today, in the book of Ephesians, we've been reading it for weeks, but again, we'll touch on it one more time. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Remember that verse, let it tattoo itself on your brain, because we're going to come back to it. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand the wiles, the schemes, the overcoming of the devil. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to overcome us. The wiles of the devil. Uh, for he, excuse me, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of this darkness, excuse me, of this age, and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, when we talk about devil, the devil has a lot of names. And what's happened over the years, as many of you know, we've kind of... We, society, maybe even we ourselves at times, have made a light on who really the devil is. Uh, we've seen, of course, we've always seen the pictures of him with his red suit and a pitchfork with the horns on his head. Uh, I've even, you know, the idea of where, oh, the devil made me do it. If you ever heard that phrase, and I tried it a few times when I was a kid and where he wasn't very successful uh, because I still did it, right? But what happens is over the years, we have just kind of downplayed of who he is. And to be honest with you, he's not just something that we have made up. He's not a figment of our imagination. He is a he is a being, a supernatural being that God created years ago as this perfect angel. And sin overtook his life. We're going to talk about that here. The devil he has lots of names. Uh, the devil and Satan over the years. Excuse me. Uh, the devil means the word. The word devil itself means accuser. He accuses God's people daily. Revelation twelve tells us. I don't know about you. I feel, the, I feel the devil in my life every day. He said, well, Jimmy, you must not be living right. No, I feel the devil in my life every day. The word Satan means adversary because he is the enemy of God. He is the one who stands against us. He is our accuser. First Peter 5, 8 tells us. He's the angel of the bottomless pit, Revelation 9. He is the enemy. He is the evil spirit, 1 Samuel 16. He is the father of lies and of liars, John chapter 8. He's the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4. He's the man of sin. He's the power of darkness. He's the ruler of darkness, Ephesians 6, 12. He's the tempter, and he's the wicked one. And we don't have time on our clock today to even get into a small portion of the names the Bible gives for Satan. Because he is a real person. See, how real is he? Jump over to the book of Isaiah. Chapter 14. Let's look there together if you would. If you have your Bibles, flip over there with me. Um, I'm going to make you work for it today. I don't have it on the screen. That's all you're going to get. So once you see that, that's all you got, okay? Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. You kind of see what's happened in his life. And there's lots of speculation, which we'll get into in just a minute. But in verse 12 of chapter 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. 
I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. These are all the things that Satan himself, Lucifer himself, has said. I will also sit among the mountains of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. See, what it was, theologians tell us that Satan, Lucifer, um, was the choir director, if you will, of the heavenly hosts. Now, I know that makes Pastor Dennis feel really good about his position. But the idea is this. He, he had a lot of... He had a lot of ability. He, had, he, was, he, was, he was one of the people up front that people saw and did and knew. And in this, excuse me, in this story where we're reading where Isaiah's writing, basically what it boils down to is his pride. His pride, he, he saw all the things that the angels were praising God over. And they were like, man, I want that because I'm as good as God. That's what he said. There's a lot of references we won't get to today. Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 28 goes into more details about it. But the bottom line is this. As we read there in verse uh, 15. Ye shall be brought down to Sheol. Excuse me, verse 14. I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will be the, like the most high. He wanted to be equal with God. That was his whole point. That was his whole drive. That was his whole desire. Was to be like the most high. Um, he is not, he was a created being, so he is not omnipresent. He, that means he can't be anywhere at any time. He can't be all, he's not all powerful. He's not all knowing. So as we go back to the book of Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we dive into more, if not just Satan. Satan is a very influential person, and we're going to talk in detail about that. Look with me in verse 11 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Or we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not, we don't wrestle against each other. We don't wrestle against physical beings per se. But against the principalities, against the powers, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. If we go over to the book of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. The Bible tells us, John tells us in this scripture there that that is, the, that is the time where it talks about where Satan and Lucifer took one third of the angels with him to hell. Tell me he's not influential. He wasn't just some angel out on his own. He was an angel who had influence. And if, if you check on me, check on me after I say this. This is the one, if you leave with anything, leave with this idea. Satan is an influencer. He is an influencer. If he can take one third of the angels with him, just think what he can do to us. But think what he can do to you. The fact the influence, think of all the influences. There's so many just a couple. Think of Adam and Eve. I mean, that's the first time you see him right out of the gate. Genesis chapter 3. And he comes to Eve in the morning and he talks to her and he said, Did God really say this? And we know the conversation they had. And because of his influence, sin became entered into the world to mankind. Think about Cain. Cain and Abel were the first two sons born, mentioned in Scripture in Genesis chapter 5. And what we discover there is you have these two young men who have basically given their first fruits of sorts, if you would. And the bottom line is, devil came to Cain and said, you know what, God liked your brother's offering more than yours. As we know the story, he kills his brother. He's an influencer. Think of Job, that whole book of Job. He's an influencer because of what one man who loved God and who 
was devoted to God eventually because of the influence of Satan physically was touched by Satan. Uh, let's think about Jesus. I mean, he, he tried, let's say this, he tried to influence Jesus. I mean, think of the time when Jesus fasted for 40 days and he comes to him and says, Hey, Jesus, if, if you jump off this mountain, uh, your angels are going to come and protect you and save you. And he goes on in the conversation. He goes, hey, Jesus, if, if you could turn these stones into bread, you, you won't be hungry because he had just fasted for 40 days. And he said, Jesus, if you'll pick any part of this land, because, again, he is the prince of the power of this earth. He says, if you pick any of this land, if you'll, I'll give it all to you if you'll kneel down before me. He tried to influence Jesus, but obviously he did not win. And I'll be honest with you now. He influences me every day. Not just every day, every hour of every day. You say, Jimmy, you must be a pretty carnal person. I, I don't know. I think I'm a pretty good guy. But here's what I, here's what I know. He, I, there's not a day in my life where I'm not challenged. I'm not influenced by Satan to do something that I know is not to be done. He said, Jimmy, you haven't robbed a bank or you haven't killed anybody. No, not planning on it. But what happens, gang, here's what we do. Here's what happens so many times with us. We think, well, here's what I know about you and me. Every day we have that influence in our lives. He said, well, Jimmy, I, I'm praying every day and I'm reading my Bible every day. Sure, if we, I mean, if we do that, that's fine. We're supposed to. We should do that. But let's not pretend that the devil is still not going to try to influence you and try to impact your life and come into your life and mess it up in all kinds of ways. Because we know it's true. See, this is what some of us do. We think, well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done anything that's really that bad. I haven't done like what they've done. We compare. But what the problem is, and by comparing, we are putting ourselves above those people. Are, are we tracking See what I'm saying? The point being is this. There's not a person here that's not influenced. There's not a person in this world that cannot be impacted, that can, excuse me, that can be impacted and influenced by Satan today. We just allow it. In fact, if you go over to John, 1 John chapter 2, chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17. Flip over there with me, would you? Because I want you to read this, follow along with me. And you say, how does he influence? He said, Jimmy, if he influences, how does he do it? Well, 1 John... Chapter 2, and let's, verse, uh, verse 15. And again, this is a passage of scripture that probably all of us could quote, have heard at least a few times in our life, so it sounds familiar. But I really want to kind of dissect it a little bit today for us, if that's all right. It does not, do not love the world. It doesn't mean the earth. I think we should love God's creation. It's not meaning that. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, our focus is on the things of this world, the world, things the world creates. And I'm going to expound here in a second. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, what is it? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. There's three things, and it kind of it's easy to see, and you can kind of underline your Bible if you want to write it down somewhere you can. There's three areas where Satan influences. One... He influences the lust of our flesh, that's our body. That's the lust of our eyes, our soul, and he also the lust or the pride of life, which is our spirit. 
So how does that break down? What does that look like to me? Because you know what, Jimmy? I'm still a pretty good person. I haven't done anything super bad where I haven't had to go to jail. I get that. But let's think about this. And when I mention these, think of these things in their context. Okay, and this is, I'm just going to get real with you right here. Think of these things in their context. How many of you agree that food is good? Uh, yeah, I said, Jimmy, you sure look like you like food. I do. However, here's the thing. In the context, food is great. It really is. Out of context, gluttony is sin. You don't hear about gluttony a whole lot in church today. And I stand before you, one, being guilty as any. And I say that as an example to my family, to my friends around me. But I am no better. Because people, this is what we do. I hear this all the time. Well, I, when, I, when, I, when I get sad or depressed, I just eat. Okay. And what we've done, we've taken our eyes off. We've put our eyes onto our, our frustrations and our, you know, our sadness and taken them off God and put them onto that. You say, why is that so big? It's a big deal. It's a big deal to me. Something I struggle with every day. I said, Jimmy, that's kind of to the point. Yeah, it is. Sex is good in the right context. Thank you. I had nobody say that in the first service. Men, that was a perfect place to say sex is good, right? You're still so nervous. You said sex in church. Listen, God created so much in this world that the devil has just so broken up. Sex is a great thing, folks. I've been married. I got two kids to prove it. All right? Here's my point. And I'm not trying to be... Listen, I'm not trying to be ugly or anything like this. But my thought is this. God created in the context to be sex is a wonderful thing. It is something for a man and a wife together in a marriage relationship. Out of context. Out of a marriage relationship before a marriage relationship. God is very pointed and clear. I work with a lot of people... Let me tell you a little about my job. For those who don't know me, um, I work for Old Navy. Have been for four and a half years. God has just put me in a place where, honestly, I love working with lost people. I just do. That sounds really like that. That's weird. It is weird, but I love it. Let me tell you why. Because God's given me an opportunity just to, to love on lost people. Because you know what? I don't expect any less than what they already are. Because they're lost. They're going to toot. They're going to cuss. They're going to do the things. They're going to live with their boyfriend. They're going to live with their girlfriend. Boys are going to be with boys. Girls are going to be with girls. And you know what? I love those people. I love the people that I work with. But I see the lives that are so destroyed because of choosing to to have a relationship with a man or a woman before the context of marriage. And let's, let's not pretend it doesn't happen to, to Christian men and women, teenagers, boys and girls. And I, I say this, let's be cautious, folks. Let's, listen, we all think adultery is one thing. Jesus said to look on a woman and, and lust after his is adultery in itself. Men is something that I have to battle with every day. Listen, I work with people. Listen, they don't dress like they come to church. We'll just say it straight up like that. I have to battle with it. There's times I just I shake my head. I mean, you think I'm crazy. 
if, if there was a camera, I wish there was a camera that could, I, I literally do that sometimes. I'll, I'll come up behind somebody that's not dressed appropriately, and I'll just, you know, just kind of change my avenue where I'm going. I do it. I wish I could say it was 100% all the time, though. In its context, sex is great. Out of context, we are influenced by the evil one. I also think of um, our comforts. Think of our comfort. There is nothing wrong with vehicles, nice homes, boats. I love to come out with people who have boats. Hint, hint. All right? Here's my thing. It's great to have all that. It really is. I mean, God is... I've known people that God has blessed with, with many comforts. But what happens with those comforts when we put them before God, when we put them before our family, out of context, our comforts can destroy us. We get into a home that we can't afford to pay or we're driving around a $40,000 vehicle when my wife hasn't had anything new for the longest time. Comfort, is, in its context, is wonderful, as it should be. Out of context, it can destroy a family. It can destroy. It'll put people in debt for years. I've got a young lady. Granted, a lot of it is college loans. I know a girl that I work with. She has just finished her master's degree uh, in um, something. Um, she has a hundred thousand dollars in school debt. I owe less on my house than she has in school debt. I thought, holy cow! Now, here's my here's my point. Our comforts. If we're, if we're swimming, if we're not swimming, we're drowning in debt and we can't make daily, we can't make monthly payments and stuff, we have a problem. And I say we, God has blessed us to a point in, in the last four years to get out of debt except for our home. And I'm so excited about that. That means driving a car that some grandma drove one time. But you know what? It gets me to work. I ain't picking nobody up in it, so it don't matter. But you know what? I've learned that things... Just aren't that important. Things are nice in its context. Next thing, the lust of the eyes. That's our soul. That's our emotional needs. Um, books are great. My wife will tell you, yeah, you are here. Um, she, she's read more books. She has forgotten more about books that she's read than books that I've ever read before. She reads all the time. Um, books are great in their context. But there's so much stuff out there today. I don't know how many shades of anything you need to read. Those are things that, that we in ourselves, folks, that we don't need to read. And it's not just books. It's magazines. It's, it's televisions. It's movies. There's a lot of things I like to watch. I like a good story. That sounds like, sounds like so proper. I like a good story. Um, I like something that has a good story in it. But there's a lot. Like, for instance, I was sharing with the first service. I'm, I like, I'm a political junkie. When, when election time comes around, man, I perk up and I watch as much TV as I can. So in preparation for that, we have Netflix in our house because I got tired of paying these outrageous you know, bills and stuff for cable and stuff like that. So we have Netflix. And anybody that has Netflix knows you can't just watch one episode of something. You have to watch many episodes of something. Can I get a witness? Anybody with me? All right, good. So we're on the same page. Um, but I've got into watching The West Wing. Now, The West Wing is all about left-wing politics as it very worst. But I love watching the ins and outs of the presidents and his staff, and I've gotten through all seven seasons, and, and I, I love it. But there are things on Netflix, too, that I don't ever need to watch, ever. I mean, there's stuff on, on, on public television that we should never watch. 
So what happens is it comes, it's the lust of the eyes. That's, that's, the, that's, the, um, that's the soul, the context. Our clothes. Man, I could go on that. Um, our significant other. I told you, mentioned to you earlier that I work with a lot of people that um, are living together and have no desire to ever change that. I had a girl that I, I just knew recently. She'd been living with a guy for maybe six months and they decided to buy a house together. Hello. I felt like it complicated. Um, long story short, our significant others can, particularly in dating relationships, let, let me say something. I don't have many teenagers here, but it works with adults too. When, and, and Tim will tell you, he knows to be true. When I see young people that are still in high school, so consumed about being with this guy or, or this girl being, or excuse me, this guy being with this girl. And that so consumes them and their life is so dramatic and their life is so consumed by the significant other. And I often would just tell people, I said, listen, my relationship with Christ should always trump any relationship that I have with anybody else. And I say that politely and kindly, but the truth is, what happens is parents, we kind of push them into that. My oldest is not here, so I'll say this good. Um, my oldest, I love Tyler. He is very selective. And I, I would say this to him publicly uh, or privately too. Um, we, we've taught our boys well. We were teaching our boys well. It's a process. For those of you that have kids that are married, it's still a process, isn't it, parents? But my kids, nine, my youngest is nine today. He's a negotiator. Um, Trevor's 9, Tyler's 16, almost 17. And I think, I don't want to ever want them to feel like they have to be in a relationship with anybody. God will make that happen. I teach them the way to do that when it does happen. But what happens is we get so consumed um, with the, the pressure to conform to significant others. And lastly, the pride of life, that's our spirit. Um, praise. We all like praise. Hey, good job today. Saw what you did today. Or listen, you, uh, your kids come up to you and, and uh, you notice what they did. Hey, good job. And we parents should always praise our kids. Small or big, knuckleheaded, not knuckleheaded, praise your kids. But what happens when we as adults go to our bosses or we go to somebody that matters with power and we try to, just, we try to impress them not because of uh, I did something great but because I just want to get recognized. I'll tell you this right now. If you'll just do the job, you'll get recognized. Let me tell you what I did. I, I don't want to sound boastful. First year I worked at Old Navy, I was facilities. For those of you who don't know what that means, that was toilets and floors. And for a whole year, I was toilets and floors. I worked hard. It's not hard to work hard when you work around a lot of younger people, but um, anyway... Uh, particularly some of the ones I worked with. But for a whole year, I did that. I loved what I did. There were days I didn't love what I did. I can promise you that. After about 11 months, they came to me. A job position had opened uh, for a service and training manager. I have zero retail experience up until five years ago. And then they, God opened that door and moved us in. I wasn't looking for that promotion necessarily, but it was just something that God says, you know what, Jimmy, I see you're doing a good work. And God just kind of opened more doors for it in the process. And I don't say it to say, hey, yay me. I say it to say, yay God. Because my, my influence, my desire is not to be about me and about my pride. Again, the pride, 
Satan that brought him down. Um, Satan is an influence of all those things. If you look with me in the book of James, and we're quickly running out of time, so if you'll flip over a few pages to James chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. I love this verse. I wish James could be here to read this to you. Uh, you ever write a letter... Or you made something that, man, you just have some passion about. You just have some excitement over because of what it says. I wish, wish James was here. So I'll, I'll try to kind of put the passion in it. This is, this is about humility cures worldliness. He says, therefore, verse 7 of chapter 4. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will, what? Flee from you. I love the first part of the verse. Therefore, submit to God. That's where it starts, Right? We have to submit. And that's hard. Larry talked about that when he first came. Submit is hard for a lot of us. It's hard for me. He says, but when you submit, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I like that word as he he said, submit to God and resist. Because resist says, you know what, you can do it. He didn't say, try to resist. He said, just resist. Does that that get you? Because here's what happens. A lot of times when, when, when confrontations come and... And can, things that we know are not right come for us and we're battling. And listen, the devil knows our weaknesses. He knows what's to come for. There's things in my life he has never challenged me with. Because you know what? He just does not for me. But he knows where I am weak. Because those principalities and powers of the air we talked about earlier, man, they know exactly where I'm weak. But when I think about this, he says resist. Because you know what? He says resist because we can when we submit. And he will flee from you. Keep reading, we're just out of time. Uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I, you know, I, again, I don't think James wrote that just quietly and subdued. I think he was very excited because he knew... He knew what it was like to face the devil. He knew what it was like to face temptation and being influenced by Satan himself. He said, listen, because you can, you've got to submit. And guess what? You'll be able to make him run away from you as far as he can. Back to Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll close. Ephesians chapter 6 and back in verse 10. I read this before in first and we're going to end right here. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Here's the thing. We could put on all this armor. You know, let's say I drag Trevor in here today, and I put all this armor on him and let him go fight a battle. <laughs> Guess what? He ain't going to do so hot. He's nine years old. He thinks he's 19. But uh, if I put a bunch of armor on him and go fight a war, he's just going to get smashed. And what happens is, when we go into battle, we can put all the... Hey, listen, I know a lot of people, man, they have their devotions every day, they pray every day, and that's wonderful. But what happens is, we can read and pray, and we can preach, and we can talk about Jesus all day. But if we don't prepare ourselves, I mean, prepare ourselves. He says there, finally, my brethren, be strong. Where does it begin? Be strong in the Lord. Because we... Hey, listen... I am guilty every day of trying to do it myself. God just, he puts me on my face more often for that one thing alone. Try to do things on my own where I think, hey, I'm, I'm pretty smart, God. I think I'll figure this one out. <laughs> and he'll say, no, you can't. 
And I think about that. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Then he goes on to talk about putting on the whole armor of God and the wife. Satan is somebody that is relentless. He comes for us. He knows our weaknesses. You can close your Bibles. Just look right up here if you're not already. The book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 3, uh, is a challenge that we brought to our college and young adults earlier uh, in, in November of this past year. We did a little series called Enemies of the Heart. And the whole thing was based around this one thought, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. And it simply says this. Above all else, granted this is the book of Proverbs, so this is Solomon. If you've ever read the book of Proverbs, I love the book of Proverbs. I mean, every verse is like almost different. And it's like, you can just stop on one verse and just like, let's soak that in for a while. He writes in the book of Proverbs chapter 4 verse 3. He says, above all, which basically means above everything else I've ever written. Okay. Everything else, this is the most important. He says, above all else, guard, or maybe you've you've learned to keep your heart, or guard your heart, for from it come the wellspring of life. In other words, our heart, everything that comes out of us comes from right here. That's why we have to have armor. Because that's where Satan's going. Because everything about us, this this has been kind of like, this has been kind of my verse. This verse has messed me up for the last six months. Because I've studied it and studied it and read all about it. And I'm just coming back to it. I'm like, God, how often do I not guard my heart? I just kind of leave without it and just like, oh, okay, yeah, it's, a, it's on my screensaver on my phone. And how many times I just forget about it. And I'm reminded every day that I have to guard my heart. I have to guard my heart for me. I have to guard my heart for my wife, my boys. The people that I have influence with. Guard your heart. Because out of it comes the wellsprings of life. I say this and we're done. Everybody is influenced. I said it in the beginning, I'll say it now. Everyone is influenced by the devil. And let that really soak into you today. Because I know some of you, as I mentioned earlier, some of you are thinking, Jimmy, I haven't done anything bad. Most of us haven't. Some of us haven't, I should say. Most, maybe some. Maybe just a few, I don't know. But here's what I know. We're all influenced. Remember all those things in context and out of context? Listen, there's not one of us here that's not influenced in some way like that. I don't care if you're a student that's in high school. I don't care if you live on Social Security. Anywhere in between. We are influenced. Art, tell me. Just because when you get older, not that you're older or anything like that, but when you get older, the devil doesn't leave you alone, does he? No, he doesn't. He's not going to answer because he knows it's true. Here's my point. Regardless of your age, regardless of your upbringing, I talk to people in here all the time that have had people that had no parents, that have some very godly parents, and they struggle with some of the same things that I battle with. I'm like, no way! And way they do. Devil is an influencer, folks. And this whole this whole study has been about putting on the armor of God because there is an opposition that we have to know how to defeat. This is actually three or four parts, and we got today. Hopefully, you understand that. Do this with me for just a second. We used to do this in college, and I just want to take just a second and 
just kind of have a holy moment in our seats. I just want you to close your eyes with me and just bow your heads. And here's, here's my thought. Just kind of draw. Don't worry about the people sitting next to you. Don't even worry about your spouse, your kids if they're next to you. Don't worry about what you're going to have for dinner in the next ten minutes. Don't worry about what homework you forgot to make sure your kids got done. Or something you didn't get done at work. I want you to just get to draw this imaginary circle around yourself. And just say for a moment, here's my heart, God. Know every way about me. I like how the scripture says, know every wicked way about me. Because if we're honest, if we're honest, we are all influenced. I just, I want it to just be a moment to where I'm not going to talk. I just want you to really examine your life. Not to think that you're better than anybody else or that my sins are not as bad as somebody else's sins because they all are sin, 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 bomb. I just want you to kind of really grasp the idea that Satan can influence us whether we want him to do or not. And especially if we don't want him to, he'll find a way. Just kind of look at your life for just a second. Just ask God, show me. Show me some dark corner that I haven't confessed to you. Lord, I thank you for these people today. I'm I'm as big a sinner as anybody here, Lord. And I, I don't brag on that at all. I struggle as much as anybody else does. Though my struggles and my temptations may be different. But God, we are guaranteed. We are guaranteed that when we stand in the Lord, He will be our strength. He will be our protector. And, and these, these pieces of armor that you've instructed us are all about keeping our, our daily life in a path that when the temptations come, the opportunity to battle them and be able to push away the fiery darts of the devil. God, help no one to think here that they are better than anybody else. Because in that low, that one thought alone, Lord, pride, pride is their sin. God, I pray for our hearts. Our, our, our hearts as a church that we wouldn't point fingers at people, that we wouldn't find ways to be divisive or to be talking about people, that we would just find a way in our own heart, in our own life, that we're not better than others. We need to be before the Lord and say, show me. I pray for our church would be filled full of godly people. The Father will see sin as sin, and they'll want to chase it away. Tell the devil to flee. You've told us, Lord, that when we submit, he will flee if we tell him to. Because he cannot stand to be in your presence. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is so, so consumed with you. That when those times come, when those temptations come, we know, we know how to defend ourselves because of what your word shows us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus.
Hey, listen, when you go out this week, I want you to think about the impact that you'll be. When we decide in ourselves not to be holy, holier than thou, we want to be holy. But in my life, who am I influencing? You'll be amazed when you go to work or you have a special social club that you do or whatever. You'll be amazed with the people that you influence. And if we are constantly in a daily time before the Lord praying and seeking our, His face, man will know, man will know, when the devil comes, we'll know how to.